All right. Hello and welcome back. This is Colin Keeley. And I'm Brent Sanders. And we are the co-founders of Avocado, an audio publishing platform. So uh, Brent, I'll let you kick this one off. Okay. Yeah. So this week I have been neck deep in cold outreach or at least list building, not really cold outreach, but building uh, a bunch of lists for uh, another business we're working on called Formulated Automation of, you know, we have five different or now eight different segments that we've developed and they're all in various stages. So I've been building some bots that can build lists for us. So originally we, we had a, what was it? Two or three episodes ago, we talked about cold outreach and like some of the strategies around it. Right. Yeah. Yeah. And I'm working on the course as well for that. Right. Right. So you've, you've basically set up this, this ability to feed an Excel list of leads into a machine and with a set of like email cadence, basically a drip campaign, be able to email these people. And, you know, we basically can from there get the responses and then start, you know, the, the beginnings of a sales pipeline. So the exciting part is like, this is a way that you can build that top of funnel, right? So we have this huge funnel and in my prior life, you know, running an agency, that was like the biggest problem for us is just top of funnel, top of funnel, top of funnel. It's like, how do you, A, I didn't want to do it. I, and I knew like we had a great referral pipeline. So it was like, eh, when we get slow, we just kind of shake the tree and something falls out and we find something, but it really wasn't a great way to grow the business. It was a great like lifestyle way to scale the business, which, you know, capped out at, you know, a, a smaller revenue stream, smaller team size. And so anyways, lesson learned from that. I, I definitely want to dive into um, getting as many sort of top funnel leads and conversations going as possible. So building lists, and I really fixated on the list building part. And so as part of formulated, we, we build automations, right? So bots specifically. And so as a way to sort of practice that muscle, uh, I'm just finishing up a really fun bot that will basically pull all the leads out of um, LinkedIn sales navigator, which otherwise we would have had to have our, you know, virtual admin do and spend an entire day going through and what adding 300 like leads to the list per day. I mean, that that's a good day at most, but um, I basically built a bot that will take a saved search in sales navigator and then go through every single one and, and put them into a spreadsheet. And then we can then cross list that and get their email through something like a hunter IO. And so I've, I've been really thick into the technical side of this and been enjoying that. And so we haven't seen the, we haven't started these campaigns. My hope is to kick them off on Tuesday of next week, but I'm pretty excited to see how it goes. So yeah, this is really good. And then there's different ways to target these different segments. So LinkedIn sales navigator is awesome for certain segments when people are actually on there. And then we're also targeting like Shopify store owners and LinkedIn is pretty bad at that. So for that, we use built with. Yeah. Build with is built with is really interesting. So that's specific for, as you mentioned, you know, these specific platforms, like, you know, we want to find a Shopify stores with more, more than a million dollars in sales. And so you showed me this, how did you find this? So I've been using it just personally for like years. It's been a long, around a really long time. If you just want to know, like, how did someone build this e-commerce site? Is it Shopify? Is it Squarespace? Is it Webflow? So I always used it personally. And then I had heard probably in the last year, 
that it was a, a crazy lucrative business with one employee. So, and I did a lot more research. It's, um, so I can tell the story. I'll probably like be like a five minute story, but basically they're doing over $14 million a year in revenue and they have one full-time employee. Jump in into the story a little bit. So in 2007, Gary Brewer was visiting a lot of random startup sites. And so this is way back. This is like when Google Analytics was in beta. I was thinking back to that time. And so he's looking at what, the, what all these sites were built with. And he noticed there wasn't any platform to make this easy. So he built it. And at the time he was working a corporate job in Sydney and he realized that he didn't really want to do that. He didn't want to have any employees. So he built, built with as a side project in the evenings for four years. And then this guy, Andrew Rogers was building a competing business uh, for hosting analytics, which built with didn't support at the time. They got to talking and Andrew's like, Hey, I'm not really seeing any traction with this. Are you seeing any traction? And Brewer at the time was doing $40,000 a month and he was still working part-time oh. on the business. And so he was, Brewer was nervous about quitting his day job and going full-time at it. He wasn't sure if the revenue was stable enough and he felt like an obligation to his boss who he really liked to just keep working for him. And Andrew's like, basically, you know, you're kind of crazy. Uh, I want to work for you and you should go full-time. You know, you're doing so much revenue. But Andrew, um, no, Brewer was too cheap. So he didn't want to pay Andrew anything. So he gave him equity uh, and gave him the title of co-founder, but he was really an advisor at the time. And so Andrew tried to set up metrics and, you know, hire people like any company would at this stage. Uh, Brewer didn't want to at all. And so the hurdle for hiring the first programmer was set at $100,000 a month. And then uh, Gary, so Gary's or Brewer's also take on metrics was that he thought they were just a distraction unless they changed his behavior. So they only tracked basically trials and signups and that's it. And really this whole thing was like the business wasn't about money. It was just like a machine to match you know, Brewer's goal in life. So he also noticed that there's an inverse correlation between the number of uh, emails he got from a prospect and their likelihood to convert. So he basically just stopped replying to all customer service emails. So like <laughs> the good customers would just sign up and the bad customers weren't going to convert anyway. So he just ignored them. Um, uh, yeah, th there's something to that. We see that with, you know, companies that get rid of their, their free tiers. It's like, you're just going to be a pain. We don't want you anyways. I mean, you're doing that kind of revenue. I guess you can be choosy. Yeah. And then, so last kind of interesting tidbit is, you know, VCs eventually figured out like this is a pretty amazing business and they were getting one call a week at the busiest time. And Gary just ignored all of them. Andrew started answering and like kind of talking about where the business was at. So this uh, was like intriguing to VCs. So VCs backed a bunch of competitors that popped up and basically mm -hmm. they acted to educate the market. They spent all this money getting all these customers and this just caused built with to grow even faster because they were like the leader <laughs> in the market. Um, so eventually Andrew stepped back, like there was no full-time role for him there. And they agreed to meet once a month for an hour. And then naturally brewers started pushing this back. So now they meet like every second or third month. And so it's just a, a one employee company. He has one contractor working on content. And I think that is it. Like that's, it's just purely so how one did you find company. this information? Uh, just researching. I did a bunch this oh, morning. Wow. Um, and I found like some old blog posts. There's very, very little like press about them anywhere, um, sure. but there was some three years ago, they're doing 12 million 
dollars a year in revenue. And I imagine you know it's bigger now, something like two to three thousand paying customers. And then it costs three hundred to a thousand dollars a month for access. And the three hundred dollars is for lead gen, and thousand dollars is more like it's like uh, reporters trying to do research on a story or hedge fund managers trying to see, you know, who's using what and how quickly things are growing. Interesting. Yeah. I mean, data brokerage is a real business. I mean, that, that's nothing new, but this one in particular sounds or super organic. And the fact that you can run it with just one person or two people sort of lightly watching it is, is sort of that, I think the vision that all the tech entrepreneurs combined want, you want this sort of machine that's running in the background, that's printing money. You know, you build this, this thing that people work with. And in my experience, and I don't want to complain and then we're going to get banned from it, but uh, it's, it's not the most modern of interface, but it, the data looks good, which is all that really matters. Like it takes a long time to get data out of it. And you end up with like a, what, what was that CSV we're working like 500 megabyte CSV. Oh yeah. Kind of it took hours with. to export it. <laughs> yeah. Right. Right. Uh, so, I mean, it's not like they're, they need to reinvest, you know, if, if people are there for the data and it's like, you get it eventually and it works, right. It's probably very stable and doesn't need to be messed with, but I would imagine there are challenges behind the scenes of like keeping all the data, you know, or some strategies that have been put in place. So were you saying that Brewer was, is he, he's the one who built it. He's technical. He kind of put this thing together. He, I think he built almost all of it. He definitely used contractors for certain things. Like he would, so now it supports a lot of technologies. So you could search basically anything, but I think he just went one by one and he needed help with like Salesforce. So he had a contractor focus on Salesforce and different things like that. Yeah. I mean, some of that information I've always thought has been kind of silly. Like, do I really need to know if you're using Google analytics or do I really need to know? Like, what is, who does that help? But what we found is, you know, if you want to understand who's using what main platform, like you're on a Shopify, that that can be helpful, like understanding you're on um, whatever web-based platform. And then the other question is like, how do we think they estimate sales? Is it just, you know, the average dollar item of what's in the store, you know, in some sort of algorithm or equation with volume of, of traffic? That would be my guess. It's unclear to me. Uh it, but so when is this valuable? It's like you could look up everyone that uses MailChimp. And if you're a MailChimp competitor, you could reach out to all of them with an offer. Or, you know, we are doing this agency and we are trying to target e-commerce customers selling more than a million dollars a year in revenue. Mm-hmm. And so we could target all them. Um, it's insanely powerful stuff. It, it struck me that it could also be used for for no good, right? It's like if you know that somebody's on a platform sending, you know, it, the first thing, and I think they did validate when I signed up for it, they're like, Hey, you go through actually a manual validation process where you get to share, give us your LinkedIn or your, your Twitter, you know, profile and let us verify that you are who you say you are because you could easily use this stuff to get all these emails and then send phishing campaigns. So I, you know, grab all these Shopify companies and then send an email from like some spoofed email address that says, you know, your password's been reset. Click here to to set your password. Or click here to enter your password. Something like that, where you could get someone to to put in information fraudulently. Which is, at least they acknowledge that, and they did seem to take some sort of steps to counter it um, in knowing you know who has access to what. But 
I think you were saying there, were, there are companies that have taken this information, you know, basically do a, a dump of everything they have and then try to spin up their own business and it eventually goes out of date and the business goes away, which is also yeah. kind of shitty. It seems like a lot of people pay for this and then it's like, hey, on Gumroad, you could buy access to all these e-commerce creators and just sell it that way. <laughs> I do think they have an API as well. So maybe you could hook in and have a legitimate oh. site, but that is, it seems to be fairly popular. I, I thought I'd be able to get this way cheaper. So we ended up paying 300 for the month. And I had heard there were like, you could pay 20 bucks and get access to all these e-commerce sites, but I couldn't find any legitimate ones anywhere with for that. Yeah. Yeah. I think it's super interesting. Like the data brokerage, there was another one um, in the, uh, real estate space that I've used in the past called Atom Data. And that one is purely an API and they've got, you know, last sales of anything you want to know about the real estate world. And that seems like it's a big, big company. Um, but I love that this is like a one to two person company and the revenue that they're supporting. You'd think that you just get, you know, tons of, of support requests over time as you, you know, scale up the business. But I guess if you just don't answer support and let them cancel <laughs> and deal with it and it, it all washes away, then it's probably fine. I, I, I'm kind of intrigued by these, like, I don't know, rational uh, startups or something. I don't know what the term is nowadays, but Gumroad, I don't know if you saw Sahil just published how they work over there. It's like everyone is part-time. They have effectively like 20 part-time employees yeah. and it's pretty chill. They never have meetings and they just keep cranking out creator features and keep improving the product. I guess you yeah. can do that when you're like not a startup anymore and it's pretty clear what direction you're heading and you just have to keep mm -hmm. marching in that direction. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it, I, I did see that post. I didn't read it, but I, I did see the headline pop up on Hacker News or something. Um, and, I, you know, it's, it's almost like a misleading headline because it's like you're forgetting all the momentum where they've spent, you know, all their time for years, especially with the case of Gumroad. I think they worked really hard on it. And now it's like to a point where it's like, hey, things are stable. We've got revenue coming in and we can, we can kind of decide what cadence we want. There's no rule saying you have to work 40 hours a week. Uh, and I think that is the attraction of an internet business and, you know, or your own brand or whatever, you know, you want to hang a shingle and do is it can be on your terms and doesn't have to be uh, anything different. So on that point of hanging our own shingle, how is your, your uh, course coming? You have your audio course, the cold outreach course, right? Yeah, it's good. I think this is going to be really valuable for people. I've put a lot of work into it yesterday, spent most of the day doing it. it what I'm struggling with the most is I started recording the audio and it's like, ah, I don't think this quality is good enough. So now I'm doing it almost all written. And so it's going to be a nice, like a written guide. And then I'll record an audio version of that. It doesn't lend itself perfectly to audio. Like it could be maybe audio first, but there's just so many email examples that I'm going through. Mm. Yeah. And then <laughs> I can't wait to hear you narrate those opening <laughs> one. Yeah. I had like, a, a bunch of subject lines. Um, and then I, I'm finding like scoping it difficult. So one of the things I recommend is hiring a virtual assistant, a VA. And so then I have like, I have a typical job description that's been effective for me in the past and jumping through all these loopholes or like loop, um, jumping through all these loops, um, to like find the perfect person. And so I'm getting into that and it's like, this could easily be a whole separate course. And so I don't really know how deep to go. And then nailing like a specific customer, is this just like lead gen outbound for companies or is it for like prospecting for podcast guests or like needing cool people? Like all that could be in the cold email course or it could be separate. So I gotta probably just cut it off at some point. <laughs> 
Yeah, I mean, you can just refer people to the uh, the John Jonas virtual admin uh, course that that I, we talked about earlier that I used, and I feel like that was really just some some simple advice. I mean, I I watched it, and he had a bunch of other courses that I didn't take, but I feel like just understanding that you can't hire people to do things that you don't know how to do. You can't hire a VA. You have to train them, and they have to do the things that you know how to do, unless they very very specifically like already have the training in that. He's taking an interesting approach that I seem to be seeing more often nowadays with people that own like a SaaS, so they own a service and they just sell a $50 course to be like, here's how you become the master of this service. Yeah. It just teaches you what you're selling. Um, I think that is an interesting approach as well. I was skeptical, but you know, an update on um, RVA. So I hired a, a VA just over a month ago. We did a 30 day review last week, right? after the new year. So it's, I mean, we still have her on the team. She's doing great and it is expanding. It, the, the big win I think that we sort of fell into is that she is a, a, a pretty good writer. And so we've been, we never have a shortage of, of articles that need to be written. We have a bunch of, of list building that, that can be done, but I'm starting to replace that with bots. So it's like, my hope is in the next 30, 60 days is to start enabling her with these bots that I'm building so she can focus on like, rather than her putting 300 leads together, she can put 3000 leads together and actually orchestrate the bots and run them, kind of point them in the right direction. And it, it, it ups the amount of work she's doing. And my hope is, is that she can focus on more human stuff like writing that we just, you know, we, we're not going to have a bot write anything for us. Your writing is such a good catch-all. Like you could never run out of content to write. So if you could find a VA that's decent at that. And I've been giving her tips and hopefully she keeps improving in her writing ability, but it's a very valuable skill. Yeah. I mean, I feel like she's definitely part of the team and culture wise. I mean, it's weird. The The time zone difference is, is irreconcilable in some ways, but she's a night owl apparently. I mean, I've offered a couple of times like, Hey, if you want to work on your schedule, that's fine. We can probably find a different, you know, time zone to sync up and giving her, you know, a little bit more autonomy. Like we don't have to, to check in every every day, but you know, she's doing a, a great job and apparently it's, it's working on her. And I don't feel like I'm getting a lot of feedback just yet from, I've asked for like, what can we do better? And she's like, no, I'm happy. I'm good. Which is, is a common thing that I've heard uh, from the, the course that I took is that they're really not going to come back to you with like, you know, uh, very similar to an American worker where they may have actual feedback or, Hey, I wish it, you know, in this case, I feel like you could have done this better. But hopefully we'll get to that point because I, I'm sure I am not a perfect boss. Yeah, you got her doing a daily standup, which I think is valuable for everyone to see what she's working on. And then we use Trello to like manage tasks. I feel like it's just kind of changed the mindset of everyone where we are documenting much better than we were before of like what everyone yeah. is doing. And so it's actually repeatable in the future for you know our VA to do it or for anyone else to jump in and grab it and go. Yeah, we will need to grow this team and... Yeah, the more that I've been trying to keep that in mind, but also keep like what can be automated. I really want it to be an automation first business and any business that I'm working on right now, what can we automate? I mean, obviously when you're a tech company that a lot of that will be done, but then there are still things even with Avocado that we're like, uh, we haven't built that out. Let's just do it manually for a while. And um, I'm actually thinking like we were talking about some of our Stripe integrations. We're struggling with automatically doing all the payouts because some of our, our creators, you know, have either other Stripe accounts or they haven't linked 
their Stripe account or they're in Romania and that's not supported by Stripe. So it's like, we can accept it, but then we have to figure out an alternative way. So it's like, it is a good way for bots to come in. And as we scale up, we can kind of look towards that. But, you know, all the normal grow- growth stuff where it's like, you know, build, buy. And now I feel like we have another B. We have a build, bot, or buy option where we can just kind of, you know, do it manually, build something to do it, or buy something to do it. Yeah, we integrated Stripe. They don't support everything. So we talked about doing PayPal. I know the integration is kind of brutal. So we've been pushing it off. Is yeah. bots a way to tie it together easier? Maybe, maybe. Yeah. I, I mean, so the transaction part of PayPal is not so bad. Um, the like, hey, we just want to have PayPal checkout. That's that's not a big problem. I think it's the the payout stuff that I recall. Now, mind you, the last time I did this, PayPal had just completed their new API, which was really, really good, but it was still new. And it was still like peppered in with their old docs, um, you know, that looked like they were from the late 90s. And so, you know, I haven't touched it in, it's probably been three, three to four years. I had worked on a project that was solely PayPal and everything was integrated to the, you know, to the nose, everything from payouts to payments, balance transfers, all sorts of stuff that I didn't even know PayPal did, but apparently it's a really good platform. I won't go into what the project was because it was, didn't have a great, great outcome, but uh, they have a really good uh, reputation for anti-money laundering, which was the reason we chose it for this unnamed, (laughs) to be unnamed project, which is if that's the reason why you're choosing PayPal, it's likely an indication that the project is not a healthy one. But, you know, it, it's a really well-respected platform, I think, from the consumer side. I think a lot of uh, consumers see it and they, they know that, you know, PayPal will be on their side if they were to get, you know, not receive the product or something doesn't go well, similar to how credit card companies can work. Mm-hmm. Well, cool. I, I don't have a whole lot else. Uh, any, anything else you want to cover? I'm excited to see how the cold emailing goes. I think we we have to do some more warm up. That's like the thing that I'm expecting to do like today and Monday is start warming and maybe it takes more time than that, but like warming up our IP a little bit more. But I'm ready to unleash uh, my new copy and my new lists and see how they perform. I, I mean, we, we basically, I want to fill up that top of funnel. So I'm excited to see and I'm excited to report back. Hopefully a week from now, we're talking about uh, some interesting numbers. Yeah, sounds like a plan. Until next week. Talk to you later. Yeah, thanks for listening.